Yes, indeed, we are in a conversation with uh, 0829-913-913 is, uh, yes, indeed, that's uh, the WhatsApp line. And as I speak, there's a finger of fog uh, making its way across uh, Table Bay, so some foggy weather may be on its way. In this week's Middle East report, in partnership with the London-based Middle East Monitor, we are going to look at the following. Egypt fires top railway official after deadly train crashes. Outrage after Kuwaiti woman murdered for refusing a marriage proposal. Okay. British soldiers can now be prosecuted for war crimes in a dramatic United Kingdom government U-turn. Israel issues 13 demolition orders to Palestinian homes in the West Bank. The number just goes up and up and up. Online for comment is Memo, multimedia journalist Jihan Alfara. And of course, you can get Middle East Monitor at three W's, put a dot there, Middle East Monitor.com. Twitter handle at Middle East MNT. Jihan Alfara, welcome. Thank you, Shafiq. Egypt fires top railway official after deadly train crashes. Uh, this appears to be uh, an endemic uh, problem in Egypt right now as uh, the country falls apart under the stewardship of uh, General Sisi. Indeed, um, as you've just said, there has been a string of uh, train crashes uh, in Egypt recently. So the uh, head of the runaway authority was just uh, sacked over this and um, you know people would be surprised how common these are in Egypt uh, these days uh, these train crashes I mean on Sunday this week um, there was a train crash uh, and uh, 23 people were killed at least and um, more than 100 people were left injured uh, the train was heading from the capital Cairo to the city of Mansoura um, when four carriages derailed um, and over the past few weeks, there were actually five train crashes, approximately that five accidents in the span of less than a month. Um, and the first of these was um, when two trains collided uh, towards the end of March. At the start of this month, also, um, you know, there was uh, another incident where, uh, you know, a number of carriages got disconnected from a train um, going from the capital to Aswan um, that the very beginning of April. A couple of weeks later, there was another crash. Also, a carriage got disconnected. And then a few days later, another crash. Also, carriages, I think two carriages got disconnected. Um, so, obviously, the transport minister was um, under pressure amid calls, you know, that he would resign, um, but he refused to do so and instead decided to dismiss the railway's chief instead. Um, the public prosecution uh, also now ordered... Um, 23 people be arrested for negligence and involvement in this latest incident on Sunday. Um, but, you know, is, is that enough to snuff out the anger in Egypt at the moment and, and reduce the possibilities of more crashes? I mean, um, last week authorities uh, blamed the train collision uh, from last month on um, junior employees say, saying that they were actually high on drugs. Um, 
so at least they've done something else now. They've taken a step. Um, but there's no question serious action needs to be taken in Egypt. And, you know, the government will need to actually invest in the railway infrastructure to ensure the safety of the passengers after, you know, years of very deadly and tragic accidents. Um, and that's, that's the situation at the moment. Yeah, well, at least in Egypt, their trains are crashing because in South Africa, our trains are simply not running. Our government bought uh, trains that were too big to fit onto our railway lines. But um, that is another program. <laughs> let's yeah. move. Let's move on to something else. Yes, and uh, your your laughter is exactly the same as ours. Don't worry. Um, outrage after a Kuwait woman murdered for refusing a marriage proposal. This is um, another story from hell, isn't it? Yes. I mean, this matter is shaking quite at the moment. Um, and we've spoken, you know, quite a few times recently about, you know, murders uh, and killings against women, of women um, across the Middle East and North Africa region. But um, this time in Kuwait, you know, uh, this woman a few months ago, this victim, um, filed a case against, uh, this guy, who now we know is her killer, uh, you know, the suspect in, in her murder, after he threatened to kill her when her family refused his marriage proposal. Um, so the authorities arrested him, you know, as per her um, complaint, um, but he was released on bail. And when he was, he went and kidnapped her and her children um, before he stabbed her to death and then left her body and the children outside a hospital. You know, very gruesome. And and also during the holy month of Ramadan as well, you know, when people are supposed to be uh, very mindful of their actions and wrongdoings and, you know, reflecting and cleansing their souls and seeking repentance. Um, And and obviously there's um, a lot of anger on social media in in Kuwait. Um, And it was... In fact, just a couple of months ago that Kuwait, uh, you know, Kuwaiti women uh, launched a Me Too campaign as a result of um, official inaction over harassment. They used this hashtag uh, that they called Len Askut, which in Arabic means I will not be silent, um, you know, calling for an end to violence against women. And now this happens. Um, yeah, the man, yeah. Yeah. According to social media users, he's been named as yeah. Fahad, Fahad Subhi Muhammad. And yeah, uh, he's a pretty sick person, uh, just to put it uh, uh, bluntly. Uh, it's yeah. absolutely crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, t- to kill somebody because they, the family says you can't marry them. I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, if, I'm, if, I, if you're I not with me, you're not going to be with anybody else, and that's that kind of mentality. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, is not uncommon um, in, in some parts of the world, and it's um, yeah. I'm struggling to get my head around it. But, yeah. Speechless, really, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, according to uh, Islamic law. Uh, in in this particular case, the woman's family, the woman herself, has the yeah. right to say no. I mean, that's in stone. So the the, the man has absolutely no reasons to feel upset. Uh, this is yeah. the, this is the way it is. Yeah, and um, and that's just uh, it's not just within Islamic code. It's literally, you know, it's a human thing. You you do yeah. not own a person. Um, and people who think in that way where, you know, their desire to exert control, like they have to, you know, whatever they think, whatever they want, they must get or they must have. 
um, you know, that's a dangerous road. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, owning a person apart from abuse is actually used to be called no. slavery in the old days. True, true. There's another interesting story. story. Yeah, and 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 this one is is also a, a, a dramatic story in what is a week of dramatic stories. It says yeah. British soldiers that are alleged to have committed crimes against humanity, genocide, torture, and war crimes will not be granted safeguards against uh, prosecution. And this from a yeah. this from a, a, a Tory government again. Yeah. That is quite surprising. It is. I mean, this is big news here in the UK relating to um, a specific uh, piece of legislation, controversial piece of legislation uh, called the Overseas Operations Bill, um, which was brought to Parliament by the government actually initially, and it was passed last year, essentially decriminalizing torture and war crimes committed by British soldiers overseas. I mean, this legislation was designed, obviously, to uh, shield soldiers from prosecution for any war crimes committed in Iraq and Afghanistan by introducing a uh, five-year statute of limitations. So it makes it basically even harder to prosecute cases if more than five years have passed since um, the alleged um, crime took place. Uh, But the will... Uh, sorry, this uh, bill was, um, you know, rightly described as an attempt to put the military above the law. And uh, there's been quite uh, quite a lot of condemnation, as you can imagine, by human rights organizations and many others, you know, pointing out how this essentially denies torture victims justice, but also let um, war criminals off the hook. Uh, Europe's uh, Commissioner for Human Rights also pleaded for UK MPs to stand up for human rights and to not allow this kind of um, protection against prosecution. Um, there was also uh, a lot of opposition within the House of Lords, you know, Parliament's upper chamber. Um, so now the government uh, will not be granting these safeguards against prosecution for, sol- for soldiers who are alleged to have committed specifically uh, war crimes against humanity torture um, or genocide and the bill um, you know will be amended so that there is no time limit set on um, prosecutions for these crimes uh, although actually you know, soldiers uh, would still enjoy protection for a range of war crimes you know from willful killing to hostage taking and uh, you know inhuman treatment um, um, but it but it is it is I mean you know uh, it, the fact that they've, um, you know, they're amending the the bill so that, you know, there aren't these safeguards for uh, these kinds of crimes in place. I mean, I suppose we all agree that's a, that's a good thing because otherwise it would have set a very, very dangerous precedent for other regimes across the world. No, absolutely. And, of course, we have to remind ourselves that it wasn't just the United States that marched into Iraq and um, yes. Afghanistan. Uh, Britain was one of the major partners. Very much the, involved, of course. One of the times, um, certain prime minister um, uh, has to also answer a lot of questions with that. They actually made him a Middle East envoy, Mr. Blair. Something uh, quite uh, uh, strange, to say the very least. Yes. Let's go on to an, another story, and th- this is one that just goes on and on and on. It just never stops happening. Um, I suppose the, s- the safest thing to call it is um, incremental uh, ethnic cleansing. 
Israel issues another 13 demolition orders to Palestinian homes in the West Bank. Um, one almost thinks that the Israelis hate concrete, that they want to destroy so many things. Um, yep, exactly. I mean, well, it's a Palestinian concrete, specifically Palestinian. Definitely. Um, but yeah, basically another day, another set of demolition orders, as you said, in the, in the occupied West Bank, but this time to 13 homes in a village uh, near Nablus. Uh, now, some of these houses are um, already inhabited um, by Palestinians, um, but uh, some of them are still in the final stages of construction, so they've not even been finalized, um, and they're receiving these demolition orders. And as usual, these orders were issued under the pretext that um, that these houses, which um, are located within Area C of the uh, West Bank, uh, that they lack the necessary building permits. Now, this is the same planning and construction policy that Israel has used and relied on for years. You know, they heavily restrict construction by Palestinians while allowing and facilitating Israeli settlements um, to expand further. Uh, you know, every day you've got them, you know, approving more and more uh, settlement units. Um, and for many Palestinians who live in, in Area C, um, building permits are basically a dream. They are um, not only charged at extortionate prices, but they are, you know, usually impossible to obtain. So it gives the occupation authorities a, a legal loophole to annex more land. And for the pen- benefit of our, our viewers, um, Area C makes up, you know, roughly 60% of the occupied West Bank, and it falls entirely under Israel's um, military and administrative control um, under the Oslo Accords. Um, And these demolition orders are designed um, to clear out space to make room for more and more Israeli settlements, which are, as we know, you know, illegal under international law. Yeah, they're sort of like a cancer on the landscape. They've always got red roofs always on the top of a hill and always using um, much more water and electricity and facilities than the Palestinians. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and, and sadly, as you said earlier, you know, this is just incremental. You know, it's every day the number's going up and it's nothing new. And it's part of this systematic policy to drive the Palestinians out and to expand Israeli presence in the occupied territories and, you know, so it becomes even more and more entrenched uh, there. Um, and it continues to happen, you know, despite international condemnation, despite you know, sec- uh, Security Council resolutions, um, you know, against uh, illegal Israeli settlements. Um, but as long as the international community does not seriously hold Israel to account, um, I think these kinds of stories will continue to prop up. It will be just something that we read every other day and just sort of pass by. I mean, it, it's. I mean, if one looks at the numbers, they're increasing. It's getting. It's getting worse in terms of of the numbers each year. And and this, to me, is what is singularly uh, concerning. Is that it? Definitely seems um, as if when when Trump got into power and was mm-hmm. friendly with Benjamin Netanyahu, that that particular relationship just saw a ratcheting up of demolition orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I'm sure you'll agree, I don't see much difference under Biden. 
there might be a few squeaks of disapproval and then they almost likely just look the other way. Yeah, certainly. I mean, with the U- with the U.S., the faces change, but the policy stays the same. And even, you know, towards the end of the Obama administration, you saw that they've taken sort of a harder line against, um, you know, uh, illegal Israeli policies and, you know, their violations of international law. But it was, you know, too little, too late, and it was just words that, you know, made no difference whatsoever. But when it comes to real, you know, U.S. policy, um, it will always be, you know, staying silent on these kinds of violations. And, you know, with the demolitions, whether it's because they say it's a lack of building permits or, as we also see in terms of um, using uh, demolitions as a punitive measure, because sometimes they say, you know, uh, this person, this Palestinian has attacked or, or has done this, bad thing or whatever so um we will go and um demolish their family home and then they do they they go and do that and as a deterrence uh they say but what that is is in reality it's actually a form of collective punishment which again is a violation of international law um but like you said with the u.s sort of not doing much and and also the international community as long as it just says you know this is illegal this is bad israel has no incentive to stop really and that's the sad uh, fact Uh, we have to leave it there unfortunately jihan al-fara memo multimedia journalist in fact every journalist nowadays is a multimedia (laughs) exponent Uh, i must confess we have to do so many different things under one mm, hat. So much Zoom these days. <laughs> Absolutely. but uh, Even for us people who are jo- usually on the field out with cameras and crews, yeah, Zoom is the way now. Apparently. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But Jihan Alfara for Memo, Middle East Report. And of course you can get Middle East Monitor, sorry. You get them at www.middleeastmonitor.com. Com. Uh, Middle East Report is the name of the program and the name of the partner is London-based Middle East Monitor. Their Twitter handle at Middle East MNT. Jihan Alfara, as always, pleasure chatting. In conversation with Shafiq Morden. Vangate Super Spa, we make your money stretch more. Get all your home essentials in store. Discover our delicatessen, halal butchery, bakery, and our new bean tree.